Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Cutting Grass. I'm Joe Singer, and I'm an alcoholic. Man, this weather is crazy. So, it's Saturday the 18th of December. And it's like 70 degrees outside. And 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, one week from Christmas. Welcome to Tennessee, y'all. Where it's the only place in the world you can throw a snowball with a sunburn. You heard that here. Well, I'm doing better, and for some reason, I feel the urge. I don't know. I just keep thinking about the day I enter treatment. Or as I like to call it, the first day of the rest of my life. <clears throat> so I remember... I didn't even argue with my wife about driving there. She said, you're going to Cumberland Heights. I looked at the other place and they suck is basically what she said. So, um, we, she said, you know, we got two hours to get there, go pack some shit. You're going to be gone for 28 days. Well, I don't know if y'all recall this or not, but in my, previous story I had been drinking all night all day well shit I've been drinking solid non-stop not even sleeping any of it off for for three days straight so um while she was on the phone I knew that I knew enough about my problem not to uh not to quit drinking before I got there so she was hanging up the phone, you know, I, I told you I, I took it last shot of vodka and finished that beer. I was about to grab another one. She says, we got two hours to get there, go pack your shit. So, but anyway, <clears throat> I remember her telling me to shut up two or three times, not, not mad, but it was like, you've got to shut up. I'm trying to drive in this Nashville traffic. So it was a Thursday, you know, and it was 10 30, 11 o'clock in the, in the morning. You can imagine heading West from, from Murfreesboro. The traffic wasn't bad, but there was nothing good about it. Um, but yeah, the one that I remember being on River Road, deeper down River Road than I've ever been in my life. And there were some pretty sharp curves. And she finally says, shut up. I got to drive. You're going to make me wreck. So, um, but anyway, we get there and I remember the, the guy at the guard shack taking my temperature and all this good stuff and sent me in and, and I remember talking to the lady at the window and then a lot of it was a blur, you know, it was kind of like, I'm really doing this. I knew absolutely nothing about treatment centers, nothing. And I found out that, uh, I wasn't even close to being right about that statement. I knew Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely nothing about treatment centers. You know, I'm going in here. <clears throat> they're going to get me off the sauce, and I'm going to be fine. I just need to quit drinking. That's all. So I remember them <clears throat> telling her she could leave, and I hugged her. I don't even remember kissing her. And they sent me back to medical. And then they... And it was, it was unlike anything, any doctor's office I've ever been to, you know, they, when you go to a doctor's office, they kind of just heard you back, 
and they go through the motions and they ask you questions, but they're not really listening to you, you know, and they're checking the boxes and then they leave you on this, this crinkly paper and shut the door. But this, this didn't happen here. Um, man, I, I don't remember anybody leaving me alone for like six straight hours. They kept me busy. They were, I bet I had to tell at least five different people that I really ain't going to kill myself. I don't want to die. I remember having to tell these people this. Yeah, it crossed my mind to do this, and I guess I really did it, but it didn't work, and I, I'm glad it didn't work because I really don't want to die, y'all. You know, I remember having to tell them people this. And, uh, but when I first got there, they made me blow in the intoximeter 3000. They took a breathalyzer sample. And, you know, I hadn't done one of them since, I don't know, 93 when I went to DUI school as a cop. Um, so, Come find out I'd blown like a 2-2 or something like that. And they, I was so drunk when I got there that they couldn't give me my first dose. Is what they kept calling it, a dose. Yet. And this, I can't give you your first dose yet, went on for six hours. No. It went on till 9 p.m. How about that? So you do the math. So that's, yeah, I got there at noon, nine hours later. Um, but luckily I was, I was drunk enough to last me till 9 PM, I guess, or almost, <clears throat> but this is how much I knew about treatment is that I honestly thought they were going to bring me a shot of vodka at like seven because I was shaking pretty good. Um, and that's how I fixed it. And I'm thinking, well, that's the only, the only thing in the world I know that fix these severe shakes is another shot of vodka. And if they give me just one, that'll last me another three hours. I know this because, you know, I, I've got experience in this. I'm an expert, you know, such an expert. I'm setting my ass in a treatment center. Uh, so anyway, I just remember being, being treated like royalty. And I, I got a sneaky feeling it's because I had damn good insurance. But anyway, yeah, they didn't have to treat people this way because I, I stayed in, in medical for five days and I watched them treat people with no insurance the same way. And I watched them try and try to talk people that really needed to be there and to stay in. So anyway, the, the first night I was there, um, you know, after, after about, about six o'clock, they says, all right, here's your room. Um, and they handed me this blue book. I thought it was the Bible. And, you know, for three days, I thought this was the Bible. I had no clue what this blue book was. They just handed it to me. And in my mind, I honestly, I never looked at it, but I've been handed Bibles before and that was the Bible. Um, and that's all they give me. They showed me, you know, here's your room due to the pandemic. You'll have no roommate. Um, here's where you can put your clothes. Once you get them, we got to go through all your stuff and then we'll bring your clothes to you. Um, and here's your bathroom. So 
all of you that are listening to this pretty much were in the exact same room I was in. Uh, just so happened I was in the last room on the right before you went outside to the smoking gazebo and medical. So, you know, I was on that ground floor in that suite. Like there's a second floor. But anyway, um, I remember them telling me, if you need something, just come up here. You know, don't sit in here and suffer. Um, but I'm sorry, there's no TV and no radios. And basically they says, you know, you kind of made this bed. Here's your bed set on the edge of it. And uh, we'll come check on you every hour until we can give you your first dose. So come to find out, you know, later that my blood pressure had to be a certain level before they can give me my first dose of Valium. I had no clue <laughs> that, that Valium was going to be my treatment. Um, which was good because I probably would have tried to self-medicate that shit and cure myself without treatment. You know what I mean? I know you know what you mean, what I mean, because y'all would have done the same thing. Uh, so anyway, um, the first night it was, it was okay not having a TV because, um, <laughs> it would have just added to my hallucinations. So I know, <clears throat> The hallucination started, you know, they, they give me my first volume at nine and I think they come in. If I remember right, every hour and they would give me two volumes, you know, and, and water. And I remember this, this, the shaking kind of, it started going away after the first dose of volume, but the sweats, they never stopped. For three days, I don't know where, because <clears throat> I wasn't taking it near near the water that I was putting out. I don't remember peeing once, but the sweats, oh, the soup that I had to leave in that mattress was just. I hope they threw it away, um, but the hallucination started. I I never in my life hallucinated y'all, ever, never ever. Um, there were. It started with stuff crawling on me, the un, the unending itching. And it wasn't as itch. It was like there were mites crawling all over me, and I couldn't stop moving. Um, and then, of course, you know, if you think about it, there's as much sweating as I was doing. There was no way in the hell a mite could move through that. Uh, but then I started seeing flies. <clears throat> and then the flies, oh, it was ridiculous. Um, and it started with one fly. So then after the fly things, it, I, I finally just turned the lights out, made it dark in there. So I couldn't see the flies, but there was just enough light coming under the door. And I don't remember if this is day one or day three of these hallucinations. I know they went on forever, but the light under the door revealed a mouse that come under the door. And I was like, holy shit, they got mice in this place. Well, the mouse is coming closer and closer to me, and it gets to the size of a squirrel. Um, I don't think it turned into a squirrel, but I do remember it turning into a fox. So it turned into a fox, and then then it run past the foot of my bed and went out of sight. But when it reappeared, it was a snake. And then the snake turned back into a fox. Then it turned into a squirrel, and it wouldn't move again. So I reached up, turned the light on real quick, and all it was was a knot hole in the floor pattern, you know. 
Um, but then I couldn't, I couldn't close my eyes because the, I just kept having crazy scenes and dreams and movie shots and, and I do remember the nurse coming in and she asked me if I was okay. And I was like, no, I'm seeing stuff. I said, that volume's too strong. And she says, honey, that's, that's not the volume doing that to you. She says, that's the alcohol. That's your brain coming off the alcohol. <clears throat> and I do remember saying, it's not over yet. Just hang in there. And I tell you, you know, some of the things that I saw in my dreams were freaking crazy. Um, but then I remember <clears throat> it was daylight. And then, of course, it had to be day two or three. Definitely wasn't day one. But my great-grandmother, <clears throat> we used to call her Big Mama. My great-grandmother appeared out of the wallpaper, y'all. Now, she'd been dead since I was like 16. Uh, Big Mama comes out of it, and she's a little bitty thing. We just called her Big Mama because she was the oldest. Uh, Big Mama comes out of the wallpaper, walks right up to this, you know, this wooden desk chair that's in there that looks like it come from the 60s. And she looks at me and she looks at the chair and she puts her hand on the back of the chair and she looks at me like she was waiting for me to ask her to sit down. And I never did because I didn't realize maybe that's what I needed to do. But then she just walked right back into the wallpaper. So that was kind of creepy. But there were tons until I could go on forever over these hallucinations. And um, but, you know, I'm glad I remember all of this. I'm glad I remember the shakes and the sweats and the uncontrollable for no reason whatsoever cough and gag. Why, why, why? Now, before I was even in treatment, I would do this like in the morning, Monday mornings, I'm going to work and I would cough and gag. I mean, the only thing to fix it was a shot of vodka. So, but I'm glad I remember every single second of my detox and you know, I made some of the best friends in the world up in medical and I can't remember none of them's name. Not a one. If I ever see them again, I'll know them, but I don't remember one name from up there. I remember the, there was a white dude that was real loud, but he was good at his job. He sat behind the desk. He ran, he ran the show. I don't care who the doctor was. Shit didn't happen without going through that dude. And everybody knows who I'm talking to, talking about. <clears throat> he was an older white guy, and he had a voice that boomed like God in that place. Um, but he had his shit together. He knew what he was doing. Um, and then I remember this guy comes in in a Hawaiian shirt, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I wonder if his mama knows he's out of the basement. It was Mike Moody. Um, so... Mad-Eye Moody brings me another blue Bible that I still hadn't opened yet and still hadn't realized it wasn't a Bible. And he says, where's your tablet and your folder 
And I said, I, this is all they give me. And I held up that Bible. He said, you've been up here for four days and you ain't had a tab. He says, what have you been doing? I said, watch your TV. He says, how do you have a TV? I said, well, it's, I pointed at the window. I had raised the blind up and I put that 1960s wooden chair in front of the window. And that was my TV. I had a big screen TV and I was watching people. I was watching people come to work and leave work and sneaking cigarettes. And it was, that was my TV, you know, for five days. So I improvised. So I wouldn't lose my mind. That was my TV. That, that blind was always up, always up from night one. I remember raising that blind and it stayed up the whole time I was in medical. And uh, I didn't give two shits who saw me in my draws. I wasn't there for them. And I was at that point, even on day one, I was not there for anybody but me. If they would have told me to eat food off the floor or sleep on the floor, it's what I'd have done. That's how bad I wanted help. Because uh, it's the only thing in life that I couldn't accomplish alone. Everything else I've done on my own. I've accomplished everything that I've set my mind to, except for sobriety. And I'm, but this is a life test that I'm glad I'm going through. No shit. I'm glad I'm going through this because I'm alive. But I remember <clears throat> him laughing and going, well, that's a, that's a, that's a heck of an improvisation or whatever you call it. I improvise. Um, he says, but um, we need to get you your tablet so you can start catching up on when they let you go to your, your room tomorrow. I said, I don't get to stay here. He goes, he just giggled and says, no, you got to get other people in here. <clears throat> so anyway, um, you know, I met a couple of good guys that I spent 30 whole days with, you know, out in that smoking gazebo when I got there. And then day five, they said, your COVID test come back and you're good. You can go eat with the rest of the people. <clears throat> so they sent me out in the, oh, and I forgot to tell you. So you remember back when my wife told me to pack, I had packed about 20 pair of underwear, one t-shirt, two pair of shorts, two pair of socks, tennis shoes. So I wore the same damn shirt for seven days before she brought me some more clothes before I realized that this is the only shirt that I had packed. So yeah, I drunk packed. <clears throat> so for seven days, everybody was like, you know, I've done it. Damn, that dude's only got one shirt, I reckon. But nobody offered me a shirt because uh, I guess I got that old mean look about me. Nobody talked to me. But uh, they cut me loose on day five and says, we don't have a room for you yet, but you can go eat with the rest of them. And uh, so I was getting dressed and she comes back and says, oh, yep, we got you a room, um, but it won't be ready till this evening. So you're going to be in cabin 300 and you'll be roommating with Ron. And I don't remember his last name. We'll call him Ron G. So I finally make my way to the court courtyard and, and this old dude looks at me and goes, first day, I said, first day past that building, he said, I said, why can you tell? He goes, it's a little obvious. He says, you hungry? I said, yes, sir. So he sent, he shows me to the chow hall, you know, and, and I get it, my food, and I go set at the table. 
by myself and said, no, nah, I'm not sitting here by myself. Yeah, I'm going to sit here by myself. So I talked myself into sitting by myself. <clears throat> and lo and behold, this big old dude comes over. He looked like he would play a linebacker off football team. He was younger than me, and he sits down and he goes, hi, I'm so-and-so, and so-and-so. And he says, you know, do we start shooting the shit? And he says, uh, what cabin you in? I said, 300. And he says, you know who your roommate is? I said, Ron. He goes, Big Ron. And the next table over was Big Ron. He was just as big as this dude. So that showed me right there. They, they're feeding us good. So um, I met my roommate before I moved in with my roommate. And I was with him for three days. And then he, he coined out. But, you know, going back to medical, that last day, the nurse asked me, she goes, did you sleep good? I said, yeah, but it got hot in here. She goes, well, honey, just raise that window. And I looked at her like she had bitch slapped me. I said, that window raises up. Now, remember, y'all, I've been looking at this window five days. I was on my fifth day. Well, yeah, we don't. What if we have a fire? You got to get out. I said, honey. If I know that window wasn't screwed down, I'd have been out of this son of a bitch night one and trucking down the road. And y'all, I would have. So thank God. Thank God I thought that window was screwed shut. So, you know, I, after they released me, there wasn't any holding me back. I participated in shit that I never dreamed I would do. Yoga, I did yoga. I meditated. I went to church, y'all. Because I'm telling you, I almost died. And I didn't die. I wanted help and I got it. So I did everything. I did art. I climbed Mount St. Sombitch with a full-blown dose of the gout in my right foot. I ate $200 worth of candy out of that vending machine before I got more money. And I guarantee I spent another 200 after she sent me some money. I was living again and I was living again on campus at Cumberland Heights. I cried. I laughed. I got in trouble. I eat good. I overcome things. That I never thought I would overcome. And I never dreamed I would miss that place. And I I remember the day they let us out. And they didn't tell me where cabin 300 was. And I start looking for the 3. Or the 400. Or the 200. And I can't find it. And I'm thinking this is the dumbest shit in the world. You know here I'm already trying to fix their process and I ain't even lived the process. So that was part of letting go. It took me a while to figure out why they don't number the buildings. So you'll talk to folks. They don't, they're, they're purposely vague so that you will communicate with other alcoholics and addicts. But it took me 30 days to figure this shit out. Or even longer, you know, some some things I learned about this in IOP. Why do they keep repeating themselves over and over and over again? Because they want to drive it home. 
Why are they making me do stuff I don't want to do? They want to take you out of your comfort zone. So, you know, there, and I'm sure some of you feel the same way as I do. I wish I could go back for another 30 days without relapsing. I wish I could do another 30 days. You know, I want to go in there and do 30 days <clears throat> without without having to drink and relapse and go do another 30 days. You know what I'm saying? Because I feel like it'd do me some good. We need to come up with a with a program so we can do, you know, we can take a week's vacation from our our day to day jobs after you get after you get two years under your belt. Let's start a program where we can we can go for a week and live amongst the people and help spread the word. And now, don't charge me because my insurance ain't gonna cover this, but. Let me, let me come in there for a week after I got two years of sobriety and live amongst them and tell them it's good. Show them that you can still do this. Show them there's better, a better way of life than using. It would do me a great deal of good. My insurance would appreciate it if you didn't charge them. And think of what the patients, what kind of benefits the patients would reap from that. But there I go again. Trying to fix a damn good program. It don't hurt to dream a little dream. You know, we all went through, we all just lived that week, didn't we? Together. If somebody goes, hell no, one of y'all said, hell no, I wouldn't ever go back there again. But the other 87% of you said, hell yeah, I'd do it. I'd go there again. But I don't know. I just felt like getting that off my chest this week. But I need to start writing stuff down because over the last seven days, I've thought of 20 different topics to talk to y'all about or to share with y'all. And I didn't write them down and they gone. So I might start writing that down. We're coming up on our 30-minute mark, and I want to wind it up. My last episode was bouncing back, and I feel a hundred times better than I did last Saturday. Maybe it's the weather. I don't know. We'll find out next Saturday. So any of y'all that's going to the uh, Frothy Monkey tonight with the Alumni Association, Man, I hope y'all have a good time. I'm just not a big coffee drink. Coffee makes me a mite nervous when I drink it. And I don't know. It's just not my cup of tea or my cup of coffee. Um, but I hope y'all have a good time. And uh, I hope you have a good meeting. And I hope, most of all, that I helped y'all stay sober for one more day. I'm glad you're here. I love you all. Until next time, stay sober, y'all.